Well, this morning we continue in our study of Mark. We're going to be looking at Mark for the next couple of weeks before we take a little mini break. Uh, We'll have a special service, um, kind of Advent service, shortly after Thanksgiving. We'll have this week in Mark and next week in Mark, and then we'll have a special Advent service and then a small mini-series leading up to Christmas. Uh, And then we'll jump back into Mark. After that, so this morning we find ourselves in Mark chapter 11, looking at verses 27 through 33. Uh, I'm going to just pray as we come to that text. Lord Jesus, thank you for some time uh, to spend as your followers, as your family. And we thank you for the chance to, to sit and to read and to reflect and to study together this interchange that you have with these chief priests and with the scribes and the, and the elders and that interaction that was right there in front of your disciples. And we get to, as your disciples now, uh, observe and learn as well. So Spirit, make us good students, we ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, our text is found in your worship folder as well as you can grab your phone or your tablet or your own copy of God's Word. I'm going to read for us these handful of verses starting in verse 27 of Mark chapter 11. So we're told here by Mark that they, Jesus and his disciples, came again to Jerusalem And as he, Jesus, was walking in the temple, the chief priests and the scribes and the elders came to him. And they said to him, by what authority are you doing these things? Or who gave you this authority to do them? Jesus said to them, I will ask you one question, answer me, and I'll tell you by what authority I do these things. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? Answer me. And they discussed it with one another saying, if we say from heaven, he'll say, then why did you not believe him? But shall we say from man? For they were afraid of the people, for they all held that John really was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, we do not know. And Jesus said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. So we have this interchange between Jesus and the religious elites, the chief priests, the scribes, the elders here in Jerusalem. Uh, And what's happening here is Jesus is having his authority challenged. Uh, by these, these men who have gathered around him. And I was just doing some, some reading this week just about authority and how we respond to authority, how we see it, how we interact with it. Uh, and because authority is, is sort of tied up with some of the issues that we have with power and power dynamics. And so authority and power kind of inseparably tied to one another. And I was reading one article uh, where a, uh, a woman was sharing, she's a psychologist, some of the, th- the therapy and some of the interactions she's had with individuals. She's done workshops trying to help them kind of figure out what their authority issues are. And she said, people have a deeply suspicious relationship to power, often because they, of what they associate with power, like lack of care for others or a top-down unilateral decision-making or some type of power over type of relationship. She said, we accept that the only possible responses to power are submission or rebellion. So this morning, what we're going to be talking about is, we have, I think a lot of us struggle with those same things. I know I, str- I have some authority issues, for sure, uh, and I struggle with uh, those power dynamics. And I know that I have oftentimes felt that same way, that like I only have the either submit to you or you're a rebel against you if you're in uh, your authority or power. And as soon as you're not the kind of authority I want you to be, then I feel like you've already made my decision for me. Like I'm just going to do my own thing and I'll try not to acknowledge it as rebellion, but it is what it is. Uh, but what's interesting is her point in this article is that in human relationships, now she doesn't say human relationships, so I'm going to add that in. There is the, the way that you can interact with authority, and it's not rebellion, and it's not submission. There's a third way, 
And that's what she's trying to uh, unpack in her workshops. But what I want us to see is when it comes to Jesus, that's not a human relationship. And there actually isn't a third way. When it comes to the authority of Jesus, it really is as simple as will you reject his authority or will you embrace his authority? And so that's what we're going to look at this morning together because we have in our text this morning, we have uh, a, a powerful story that shows us a lot and exposes a lot, but it's not just showing us things about these religious elites 2,000 years ago. It's actually showing us about the human heart, including our hearts, and exposing things in human hearts and including our hearts. And these two responses are what we're going to look at. Do we reject Jesus or do we embrace him? Because it really does boil down to if you reject Jesus' authority, then you reject Jesus. If you embrace Jesus' authority, if you truly embrace it, the only way you do that is by truly embracing Jesus. So first let's talk about rejecting the authority of Jesus, which is ultimately the rejection of Jesus. And I want us to remember the background that, that Josh was walking us through last week as he was preaching on the text previous to this, because we had Jesus very recently coming into the temple, right? Within a few days of our story here, he comes into the temple and he cleans house, right? He, he's flipping tables and he's, he's driving out money changers is that kind of image that we have, but ultimately he's, he's actually bringing uh, kind of a restoration and a reclaiming of God's temple and of the practices that are going on in God's temple. And then he leaves, and now we find him coming back to the temple. And Luke tells us in his parallel account of this that when these uh, religious elites come up to Jesus, this is what's going on. Luke says he's, he's there sitting in the temple, teaching the people, and preaching the gospel to them. And that's the moment that the religious elites, the scribes, the elders, the chief priests come and confront him. So they show up to confront him as we see in verse 28 because they, they're hoping to trip him up. They wanted to, if you remember from what Josh read and uh, unpacked for us last week, we had the religious elites there and they're watching Jesus clean up the temple, clean up the practice of the temple and they're angry and they want to destroy him but it's actually out of fear of the people that they don't. And so now they're trying to lay a trap for Jesus, see if he'll say something that'll allow them to destroy him without the people turning on them. And Jesus, uh, he's not going to be entrapped, right? Now he's, the rest of the text is Jesus essentially challenging, challenging the challengers and saying to them, like, I'm going to call you to the carpet and we'll see how this plays out because he won't back down. And so our text this morning is about the rejection of Jesus by these religious elites, and implicitly it's also showing us something about Jesus and what it looks like to embrace him, to embrace his authority. Jesus as the true authority over and against the way he's being characterized by the religious elites. So first I want us to dive into what this text teaches us about rejecting Jesus. Like, why would we reject Jesus? Why do these religious elites reject Jesus. Well, consider these chief priests, these elders, and these scribes that are confronting Jesus here in our text. Why would they be confronting him? Well, very simply, it's because they like the world the way it was before he came into their temple and turned it on its head. They like the status quo. They didn't think things were broken. Therefore, they don't actually think things are better on this side of Jesus coming in and doing a work in the temple. Financially, they liked the way that things worked in the temple before, the kickbacks that they got from the temple before, the way that it kept the riffraff out of the temple before. They liked socially what it meant because they had a place of prominence and it was, they actually had a place of status in the temple and they could maintain it through the status quo. 
And then we also have uh, just culturally, these religious elites, these chief priests, these elders, these scribes, they had a vested interest in people staying in their strata. They wanted, they wanted those who did not have to continue to not have because that was the best scenario for them. And the way that they were able to keep that strata was let's, let's extort them so that we can get money from them, but it will also help us to make sure they stay in their place and understand their place in comparison to us as soon as they walk through the doors of the temple. They'll know they're not us. And so they had a vested interest in keeping the status quo. And what Jesus does is he flips that on its head and they don't like the world, the temple that Jesus has recreated. And so what we see here is these uh, scribes and these chief priests, these elders, they show us the inner workings of their own hearts. And what we don't like is they actually show us the inner workings of our hearts as well. Because Jesus blows up the temple that they've created, the temple that they've cultivated, and we don't like it when Jesus does the same thing for us. We have temples that we've cultivated, that we've created. We've got places in our life that we're like, hey, I've actually cultivated this to be what I want it to be. And if Jesus comes in and he blows that up, we feel like he's attacked us. We feel like there's some type of affront to us. Because when Jesus exercised his authority in the temple, these scribes and these elders and these chief priests, they felt attacked by Jesus. Was Jesus attacking them specifically or individually? No, but when he went to actually make things right, they didn't want things right. And so it felt to them like an affront, like an attack. And so Jesus, he'll blow up my temple and your temple just as easy as he'll blow up their temples because he's gonna make things right. But when things being made right actually isn't what we want, we feel that same impulse that these religious elites felt. And so he's, Jesus also, you can think of it this way, he's confronting, uh, in a sense, areas in the world, areas in our lives that we'd rather leave untouched. There's areas in our life that we don't actually want Jesus' lordship. We don't want him to be king over those areas because we don't think they're broken, or even if we know that they're on some level broken, the reward we get from them, the, the experience we get from them, we're not willing to sacrifice. Or maybe we look at it and we, we have a more future forward thought. Like, Jesus, if, if you come into my life and you blow this up right here, that means that all the pieces that were contingent on it for my future are blown up as well. If you actually clean up this area of my life, I needed that area to be there. Because if I don't have that area, I won't actually get to my end goal. And I'm, I'm a firm believer that the, the ends justify the means, but you've just blown up my means. And so we have essentially in the heart of these religious elites, we can actually see like a mirror of our own hearts. Uh, and I want us to consider, no, so that's, that's the why. Why would someone reject Jesus? It's because Jesus does things we don't want him to do. Because there's plenty of status quo things that we don't want Jesus to touch. But when he does, it strikes a nerve with us. And we can also glean from this text, you know, how can we spot when this is going on in our life? How can you know when you're struggling with rejecting the authority of Jesus? And we can use these, uh, this interchange between Jesus and these elites to help us with this. And, you know, one of the simplest ways is when someone just directly rejects Jesus. Because that's essentially what happens here with these scribes and these elders and these chief priests. Jesus says he's the Messiah. They don't want to believe it. They don't believe it. If you remember from last year, we kind of used this phrase. For them, it was hashtag not my Messiah. Like, this is not my Messiah. And so if you're not my Messiah, then you can't do these things. We, we're not going to entrust that kind of authority to you. And so you can see that very, very simply when someone's like, hey, I know who Jesus is. I know what I'm supposed to believe about Jesus, and I just won't. That's what the, the elites are doing here. 
I mean, if you've studied some philosophy, you know, there's a lot of philosophers who just go ahead and they, they make at least a footnote to be like, and, and here's what I think about Christianity and Jesus. I mean, if you, if you think about Nietzsche, Nietzsche had thoughts on Jesus and they weren't positive. He had thoughts on Christianity and they weren't positive. Neither did Freud, neither did Marx. More recently, neither does Richard Dawkins, neither did Christopher Hitchens, and most recently, Ricky, Ricky Gervais. He loves talking about how much he doesn't love Jesus. Like There are people who just say straight up, I reject the authority of Jesus. Now, the reality is most of the people that, that we interact with and most of the people that are in this room probably wouldn't say that. Now, some of us have family members who have said that exactly, right? But most folks who feel that way don't come in here on a Sunday morning. They might, but usually they don't. So we need to look and also see what's going on in the hearts of these religious elites so that we can see when something less uh, blatant is going on in our hearts. And look at the way they respond to what Jesus does. They have a sense of anger. They're, they're frustrated. They feel indignant. Those are some of the indicators that you and I have to watch out for. When something goes on in my life and my status quo gets questioned or gets turned on its head and I start feeling angry and frustrated and some indignation that my life would go this direction, that's usually a red flag because it's showing us there's something in our life that we're so attached to that if it's taken from us, we feel like we have to act out in some way, shape, or form. It's not, we'd love to think that it's like a holy, righteous indignation, but I'm way less indignant when, when travesties happen in the world than when someone impedes my, my personal progress or steps on my preferences. So it's better for me to just assume when I'm frustrated and angry that there's sin at the, at the root. Maybe sometimes there isn't. I haven't come across many of those times. Usually it's a pretty important diagnostic tool for me. And then we can see even in these religious elites, the way that they process, when you and I are honest about the way that we think, it can show us how we view the authority of Jesus over us. You should watch how these religious elites, they have a conversation amongst themselves when Jesus asked them, like, where did John's baptism come from? Well, they, you would think that they would be like, well, what do we really believe about that baptism? No, they don't ask any questions about, well, what do you believe about the baptism? No, they're like, well, what would happen if we say this? And what would happen if we say that? They're trying to manage it. They're trying to control it. They're trying to see how they can achieve an end, not actually submit themselves to any type of truth. And when you and I see that kind of manipulation, that kind of management thought going through our heads, that's another good indicator. If I look at my life and I want a certain outcome and I'm trying to figure out how to control my way into that outcome, it's just a subversive way of trying to uh, you know, sidestep the authority of Jesus. And so for you and for me, uh, we don't want to believe that we are just straight up rejecting Jesus because we know that, that that doesn't sound wise. So we try to find ways to go about manipulating and managing so we can get what we want and still kind of give the nod to Jesus. But when Jesus blows up our temple, we realize that that actually doesn't work. We realize we're too angry. We're too frustrated. And it's actually good for us when those things happen and we have to wrestle with what's going on in our own hearts. And so let's just take a few minutes before we move on and think about the areas that we see Jesus' authority being challenged, being rejected. I want us to think about it culturally, but I also want us to think about it personally. Like in our culture, where do we see kind of the, the authority of Jesus, the, the biblical authority that Jesus is king and he says, this is the way the world should operate? Where do we see that being challenged? Uh, we see it in individualism. That's one thing that we struggle with culturally. 
where we say, hey, I'm at the center of my own universe. I'm at the center of all of my decision-making. Jesus calls us into a way of life where actually we're not at the center. He's at the center. And what he's doing should matter more to us than what what we want to see happen. Yet individualism tells us, hey, you matter most, and it's okay for you to matter most to you. We'll figure out how we can coexist while all being selfish. That's the, the thrust of this individualism. And so we struggle with that. We struggle with consumerism. I need X to be happy. If I don't have X, I mean, we're, it's Christmas, right? Well, it's almost Christmas. It's, we're getting into the season, the season of consumerism. Uh, one of the great things about COVID is that uh, now you don't have to go anywhere. On Black Friday, all the deals are available to you online. And so actually Black Friday started last week for most places. I've gotten so many emails from places that I stupidly shared my email address with, and they're trying to get all of my money this season. And they know exactly the kind of things that I'm interested in. It's things that I already have three or four of, and I just think I need a newer one. Consumerism, where we think, hey, there's something out there if I have it. That'll make me happy. That'll make me satisfied. That's saying, Jesus, I know that you say that you'll satisfy me, but actually I need this. You're great, and this will complete the set. And that's what we think. But we also see it kind of, let's just talk about sexuality for a minute. Like in our culture, we see the authority of Jesus challenge either openly uh, or subversively saying, hey, when it comes to sexuality, uh, then there is a standard, but it's not the standard that Jesus has set. Hillary and I have been watching some shows on Hulu and some other shows, and it's amazing how many commercials, it doesn't matter what they're selling, what they want us to be pursuing consumeristically, there are all kinds of sexuality virtue signals that are happening. Every, every single commercial that I've seen, almost without fail, has got some sort of presence of a call to accept a certain dynamic within a, the sexual realm. Whether that's who you're attracted to or how you view yourself or how you identify yourself or whatever it may be. And what I want us to see, like when we think about Jesus' authority when it comes to sexuality, um, is we have... These commercials, these shows, these publications, they're all highlighting a rejection of a biblical authority on sexuality. They're not overtly saying that, but what they're doing is they're saying, all right, we're, our end here is we want to, we want to retra- retrain the populace. We want folks to have a new moral standard, and we're slowly going to move that standard, and we're going to do it in all of these subversive ways. And there's a difference, and I want to be very clear about this. There's a difference between us taking a stance and saying, hey, I affirm the personhood of someone who identifies in this way or that way or the other way. Like Jesus affirms people's personhood without changing the biblical standard on what is and isn't good, holy, righteous, and will lead to flourishing. I am not anti-affirming personhood. Jesus is not anti-affirming personhood. But what we're seeing is not the affirmation of personhood, it's the retraining of our moral compass. And what that is, is essentially the rejection of Jesus' authority in our world. But I want us to note one thing here as well, because we could, I mean, actually, I think a lot of you would be like, yes, let's keep talking about that. But Jesus didn't go to the marketplace and start condemning people for their unholy practices. He didn't go to the governor's palace and start condemning the governor for his unholy practices. He went to the temple. So what I want us to see here is not like, hey, Jesus is calling us on a cultural crusade. No, Jesus is saying, 
the world you live in wants you to believe something that's not true. And you will start living in light of that if you don't question it, if you don't address it. Jesus wants the people of God to know the truth and be shaped by the truth so that we can live in a loving and intentional way with everyone who doesn't. Jesus didn't go into the marketplace and tell people who didn't claim to love God, stop extorting people. Is extortion wrong? It's always wrong. But where was Jesus focused? The people of God. Jesus wants us to take stock of our own hearts. So anytime we think about when we see issues, whether it's social issues, political issues, sexuality issues, consumerism, uh, what was the other one that we talked about? I don't even remember now. Consumerism and individualism. All of these, whenever we see them, it's not a, the world is so broken, I'm so glad that I'm not. And so I see the world is broken, and if I'm honest, I'm a part of that world. And Jesus wants me to take stock of my own heart and where I'm rejecting his authority. And so in our own lives, we need to think about whether it's in our marriages. Like, are there areas in our marriage, in our own understanding of our sexuality as well, that we have allowed the authority of Jesus to be subverted or never allowed Jesus to be the authority in those areas? Is individualism and self-centeredness, is that the driving force for how I relate to my spouse? Is that the driving force for how I relate to my children? When when you think about the relationships that you have or the relationships that you want, when Jesus says that there's a certain standard of holiness in our sexual practices, but in the dating world, there's no space for that kind of conviction. If you want to see a relationship develop to anything else, would you say, Jesus, you get to be the authority here, or Jesus, I can't risk you being the authority here? or in our careers, or with our finances. I mean, uh, for a lot of us, we're married, and so we're like, all right, I've actually, I've checked off that relationship box, and so now I have a person. So Jesus, you can help me be happy in my marriage, but then when you tell me how I'm supposed to use my money, well, that's actually, that's a step too far. That's too much. So we have to be honest about the areas in our own lives where we have rejected the authority of Jesus, because it's a temptation for us, just as much as it was for those chief priests and those elders and those scribes. I want to close this morning. I wanted to spend a little bit more time, but I got, I got to preach in there for a little while, and so now we're running out of time. Uh, but I do want to, to notice what this text isn't necessarily focused on, but is implied in this text. And that's that there is a, there is a response to Jesus' authority, which is an embrace of his authority. And I want us to look at that very briefly, because when you think about what Jesus did in the temple back when Josh was unpacking that for us last week, do you know, if you watch Jesus, what he did is he destroyed predatory practices and he freed men and women to a life-giving worship once again. What Jesus did was unequivocally good. It was good for the oppressed, but it was also good for the oppressor. What Jesus does with his authority is always good. It's always best. Those who were extorting people in the temple, their life was not a healthy, happy, flourishing life. It was an enslaved life. Oppressors and oppressees are all, the, are all beneficiaries of Jesus' authority because Jesus always does what is best for everyone. Now, when you're the oppressor, when he's cleansing your temple, it doesn't feel like a good use of authority. But when you're the oppressed, it feels like a really good use of authority. But I also want us to note this. There's two ways, there's two approaches to Jesus' authority that look like, one looks like embrace and one really is embrace. 
Jesus is in the temple and he's preaching and he's teaching people who are gathered there who are excited because he came and cleaned house earlier in the week. And so this place is much more open to them than it was before. But a lot of the people sitting listening to Jesus teach and preach the gospel later this week will be yelling crucify him. Because you can embrace Jesus' authority or think you're embracing his authority, but really you're embracing the outcome of how he used his authority. Yeah, Jesus, I wanted that to happen since you did it. I'm really thankful for you doing it. I'm not thankful for you. I don't really want you. I just love the outcome that you accomplished for for me. That's like a temporal kind of situational embracing of Jesus' authority. It's not truly embracing him. It's saying, I want something. And when it's accomplished and it's labeled as being by Jesus, then Jesus has actually earned a gold star for me. He gets my approval. But that's not embracing his authority. That's just celebrating an outcome that a different power structure achieved for you. To truly spiritually embrace Jesus' authority, to embrace Jesus himself, you have to not just listen when he teaches and listen to the gospel, but embrace what he teaches and embrace the gospel because that's how you embrace him. It's interesting that Jesus is preaching the gospel to these folks in the temple because what we ultimately need, if we're going to embrace Jesus' authority and embrace him, we have to trust that what he does is good and that having him as our king is better than any other uh, alternate solution. We have to really believe that if, if we follow him in all these different areas of life, we're going to be following him into what is best. And so we need to understand the gospel. We need to hear him teaching us and preaching the gospel to us We need to understand that only only the gospel actually disarms all of the authority issues that we have. To submit to Jesus is to embrace him and to have someone embrace you back. It is not an abused power structure. Jesus came so that he could live a perfect life and then leverage that perfect life so he could be the perfect sacrifice so that everything good he did could be given to us as credit and everything that we've ever done that deserves judgment could be satisfied by him for us on the cross. We have one who wants to lead us who's already given himself for us. We're following someone whose leadership took him to the cross for us. So to follow someone who loves you and is giving himself for you, the more your heart gets enthralled with that, the more you'll willingly follow him and want him to be your king. You and I will never want Jesus to truly be king over all of our life until we actually believe that he loves us with the kind of love and the depth of love that the gospel confirms to us. So if you're struggling with authority issues, the solution to our authority issues is the gospel. You will love the leadership of Jesus the more you understand the love that Jesus has for you. That's where we have to go. He preached the gospel to those in the temple. Some of them got it, some of them didn't. But the ones who did, they mourned because they thought they lost him. But then on the other side of the resurrection, they were empowered, they received the Holy Spirit, and the world began changing. Because the king is a good king, and the good king loves his people. And the more we know he loves us, the more we want to follow him in any and every aspect and area of our life. Father, thanks so much for this time to spend thinking about Jesus and about the authority that he has and the way that he uses his authority. And also just to be honest with ourselves about the fact that we don't like his authority a lot of times. There's plenty of status quo that we want to leave untouched. We pray that you will help us to wrestle with our own hearts. We want to be like those who were sitting at Jesus' feet, hearing the gospel, hearing him teach, and having our hearts drawn to him. Spirit, we know the only way, the only way that that kind of change takes place is when you do a work in us. And so we pray that you'll do that work 
and our hearts. We ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen.